Hello. Um, I'm so excited because I get to interview my mom today. She is a board certified, internationally board certified lactation consultant, which is like the top tier of breastfeeding um, help or like, what would you call it? Like there's, you know, breastfeeding counselors, there's different levels of consultants, but to become a board certified lactation consultant, you have to have 500 hours of in-person support and take like a really massive test. <laughs> um, very expensive test. Very expensive test. Oh, I didn't know that. Um, Ooh, and yeah. she's also, did I say your name? This is Melissa, Melissa Jackson. Um, there, she's also been a doula before part of the reason why I became a doula. She kept telling me I should do it. And I was like, I don't know. It seems like hard to be on call and all of that. And then finally I caved and was like, yeah, this is where I need to be. Um, she's done, let's see, childbirth education. She even backed me up as a doula one time. So she's very full of knowledge. She's been an ER nurse. She's been lactation consultant at a hospital. And now she does lactation work for um, a virtual lactation company that does prenatal education and postpartum support. So anything you want to add to that? Uh, uh, no, I think that pretty much covers it. Um, still a nurse. Um, I know that um, also the experience working with a home birth midwife oh, I yeah, think yeah. is helpful. I like to point that out when I'm doing the prenatal classes online, just because I think it gives me kind of a, a middle of the road viewpoint. So I, I see it when it's completely 100% natural and then see it on the other side of things when formula is a lot of times recommended when it's not necessary. Um, mm. But kind of like you pointed out um, earlier in your in your description before we were doing this is just that some moms choose to uh, formula feed and that is absolutely fine. This is intended for the moms who want to exclusively breastfeed, don't want to give formula supplementation and don't want any other substances put inside, you know, put in their baby's mouths, kind of like that uh, little purple container that they started to put in Ozias's mouth when they were going to do the hearing screen and that those are called sweet ease and it's just little sugary substance that babies don't really need. Um, so it's mainly just for trying to make sure that if, if parents don't want a formula supplement um, that they don't feel like they're being pushed to. Yeah. Or and we'll talk about this later in the conversation, but even the ones that do and know that that's okay with them, like a combo feed or a formula feed is, well, I should say more so the combo feed, but even the fully formula fed um, or formula feeding moms, I feel like you have a lot of value to add to those moms too, because if you want to still have a breastfeeding relationship and you do want a combo feed, you have a lot of tips on ways to do that, how to do that. And then even for the fully formula fed babies, we don't have to overfeed them like we're doing. There's still things to learn about tummy size and quantities and helping them, you know, not spit up or things like that, that I know that they can learn from this conversation. So stay in this conversation, whether you want to breastfeed, combo feed, exclusively pumping, um, like there's so much to learn. So I'm really excited about this. Um, and we kind of do 
want to talk. The, the main focus of this conversation, though, I think is going to be talking more so to the moms that want to, but feel like it's going to be really hard or maybe are going to be misinformed. I know you saw a ton of that in the hospital setting of just moms not being fully informed on the proper information about why supplementation is needed um, and maybe using a little bit of fear to push moms into supplementing when it's not needed. And like you said before, like there are moms that very much know that they're okay with that supplementation. And then there are moms like myself who, if you would have told me in the heightened state of breastfeeding being difficult in whatever, you know, the second day of life or when I was having nipple pain or things like that. And you would have said, oh, just give them formula. It's fine. I would have flipped a tit. Like I, like literally, <laughs> probably full of milk. Um, like I would have been so discouraged. And I know for some moms that actually helps with their anxiety and their stress of like, okay, like I can just combo feed, it's fine. Or I can just formula feed, it's fine. But for the moms that feel really, really strongly about wanting to breastfeed, that can be really discouraging. So I would love for you to start to talk about maybe like some of the, I guess just start where you want to start and then I'll ask questions as you go. Cause I'm sure you have a, like your mind's racing with things you want to say now. Oh, there's so many things to say. Um, but quite often, um, I mean, prenatal breastfeeding education is so important to be prepared for what you might hear and to know that, yes, it's natural, but it's natural like walking, not natural like breathing, that we do have to practice, that every baby's different. Some babies need to learn a little bit more about how the whole suck, swallow, breathe process works. It depends on if baby's born you know, a 37 week old baby is going to suck differently than a 40 or 41 week old, or like you carry to 44, 45, 47 weeks, however long you carry those babies. Um, and you know, they come out pretty much ready to start eating at the dinner table maybe, but, um, it, 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 they're going to have more or less cheek fat that can help with that sucking. Some babies have tongue ties. Pediatricians will never usually diagnose a tongue tie. Is there um, a reason for that? Like, why do they, why are they so averse to wanting to diagnose that? That's a good question, but it's oftentimes from um, lack of education about oral function, lack mm -hmm. of education about how the tongue functions in the process of feeding um, sometimes it's kind of turf war, it seems like, oh. um, where we as lactation consultants are supposed to be subservient a little bit towards the physicians, but this is all we do. Mm. So I think for quite a while, physicians felt as though, well, every time we see a lactation consultant or somebody is sent to us, they say our lactation consultant said the baby has a tongue tie. Then it would seem as though every lactation consultant is diagnosing every baby with a tongue tie, but we only see typically the babies where there's a problem. Most often mm -hmm. people don't pay for a lactation visit if they, everything's going fine. So you have somebody coming in. Oh, good. 
that's such a good point. It's kind of like the whole home birth mentality of like, well, every single home birth that we see is like this catastrophe and this problem. And it's like, yeah, but that's because you're not seeing the 99% that go good. <laughs> right. Exactly. So if, if, and, and quite often it, it honestly is just lack of education about how the tongue functions and how important it is to, and for decades, we've just been able to say, oh, well, if it's not working for you, then we'll just give the baby a bottle. But it can cause problems with bottle feeding as well. It can cause problems with reflux and sleep apnea. But we probably should save tongue tie for a whole different discussion because that can go on for a long, long time. And then you probably should interview um, Sarah. Sarah. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I'm like, I have a lot of lactation consultants in my network and I'm like, okay, (laughs) I know they all have their own little like niche kind of. So I'm like, how do I kind of like expand on the conversation? But I want to back up because I want to talk about the profession, like the, the level of knowledge and when parents are solely focusing on what their pediatrician is saying versus a lactation consultant and kind of understanding that lactation consultants are different and specialized for a reason, just like you might not go to your family doctor if you need brain surgery. Like, exactly. So that? <laughs> <laughs> um, because, because feeding is all we do and we have to have, um, in order to pass the test, you have to have so, so many hours of following a lactation consultant of, 90 hours of lactation specific education. Um, it costs a lot of money. And so you study really, really hard for it, but it is just this, and we have to do a certain number of, of continuing credit hours to maintain our certification. And so that's every five years, you have to turn in at least 75 continuing education hours to maintain your certification, just like nurses do in many states. Um, and so we're specialists, we are feeding specialists and we study how to incorporate, it's not just, um, breastfeeding or breast milk. We learn how to incorporate how, what is the proper way to prepare formula and how many of us are preparing it incorrectly. Many of us, you know, many years ago prepared it incorrectly. Sorry, if you have any digestive issues, it's all my fault, but it's, you know, we didn't know what we were doing and, um, there wasn't any way to, to look it up. You know, you had to go to the library and get your kid out and, and go look in a card catalog. And so we didn't really do that, but, but we only do feeding. This is all we do. So we specialize in it and it's just like a cardiologist or a urologist or a pediatric ENT or pediatric dentist. I mean, they, this, mm-hmm. you, they, they, pediatricians don't seem to have any problem referring um, their babies, you know, babies in their care to specialists for other things. But when it comes to feeding, it seems to not be a very common practice to, to refer out. Yeah. Which is Um, interesting. And I know one thing you've said, and I always use this term with my, or use this with my clients is like, your pediatrician knows everything about ages zero to 18, like think about all the things that are in their brain 
and that they have to try to remember and keep updated on like the things like they don't have time even even if they wanted to even if their heart was yeah. there to like keep up on all the things they don't know the current evidence and things on infant feeding they don't have time so they're going to give you answers that are more this is standard this is what's going to make sure that mom and baby don't die when they leave my office like well baby doesn't die when they leave my office mm-hmm. and a lactation consultant, they know everything about everything when it comes to feeding. And that is why it's important to go to a specialist if you're having feeding issues. And if your pediatrician is just suggesting, oh, just supplement with formula, like it might be a good idea to, t- to have a second opinion if you're not wanting to combo feed or you're not wanting to introduce formula. Now, if you are like, okay, so be it. Um, but I just think that like remembering that is really important I will say um I got very lucky with our pediatrician she is um a little bit more I don't want to say holistic because that comes off a little weird but like she's not one to be like oh med fix it oh this will fix it oh blah blah blah. she's like why don't we try some of these things first before we go to meds before we do all these things so she Mm -hmm. And she's, listen, she's wicked smart. (laughs) Um, She um, did refer me to a lactation consultant with my third. I was having issues with production and stuff. I did end up supplementing formula while I was boosting my supply, um, working with a lactation consultant on that. Um, And actually, while she was... In the hospital, we actually ended up having to stay an extra day because of um, a little bit of jaundice issues and stuff like that. Um, but they ended up giving donor milk during that time because I just couldn't, I didn't have the supply at that point. But I was going to actually ask you, have you noticed any dietary things that affect milk supply? Because the only thing that was different that I did different was I craved mint hard on my last yeah. trimester. Like, like literally I was going through like a box of junior mints every other day, <laughs> like craved it hard, like could not get enough. Um, and then I looked up later that milk or that mint can actually decrease your supply. And so I felt like that was probably part of my problem. Cause like, as soon as I gave birth, I had no interest in mint whatsoever. <laughs> so then I was fine. Yeah, I'm, I've never heard about it work, working that way prenatally, but I mean, I guess it kind of makes sense. Yeah. Um, it's um, still, it's is, that true with, is that true with mint? Yes. Yeah. The, yeah. Yeah. Peppermint in particular, but yes. Mm-hmm. Like I was literally like those junior mint, the candies that are super intense, like the York peppermint patties. I was literally like, could not get enough. I was like, <laughs> give me all the mint. <laughs> that is so interesting. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So I am curious to ask, like, what are the top three reasons um, why supplementation would be recommended? Even if somebody like, isn't wanting to supplement. Oh, so it is um, low blood sugar or perceived low blood sugar, um, infant weight loss, and um, high bilirubin or jaundice. And so sometimes a little extra is necessary. 
Um, Billy Rubin is, and jaundice is one of those things where it is important to feed the baby. So if there was less potentially because of the mint, um, in the beginning, then maybe baby did need a little bit of extra. And it's fantastic that they have donor milk. If we can use donor milk, that's going to be absolutely the best choice. There are some studies showing that if we supplement with small amounts of formula, in the very beginning of life before colostrum really has a chance to seal the intestines because they're very permeable in the beginning, the cow's milk formula, the cow's milk protein can get into baby's system and creates a higher chance or higher likelihood of lactose intolerance and um, cow's milk protein allergies. So there are um, some studies showing that. I remember you and your sister, Logan both having lactose intolerance and really, really had trouble with lactose because I was supplementing with formula from the very beginning. I don't know if that's the reason, but um, there are some studies showing a correlation there, but the perceived low blood sugar is typically it's only if they're testing. So if, but they test for a variety of reasons and sometimes a startle reflex can look like jittery. So if a baby startles and does that, that could be jittery in some eyes, they might test for that. Um, but usually they'll test regularly. Um, if mom has gestational diabetes, um, or regular diabetes, but if mom's diabetic, they'll test blood sugar pretty much immediately. Um, they'll test if baby is small for gestational age or large for gestational age. Um, remember they wanted to test Asa because he was like one ounce too small, I guess, even though he was huge for a twin, he was <laughs> gestational age. I guess they thought he should have been one ounce bigger, which he would have been if he wouldn't have done all that pooping before he was born, probably. Well, and so like, what's the range of when you're not too small or not too big? Like, I feel like the range is like two ounces. Yeah. I, I mean, it, 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 Ultimately, if we could keep these babies up skin to skin and test while the baby is skin to skin and do the heel stick when they're skin to skin, there it will be higher um, almost always that when it is super and we're supposed to allow for a much lower number in the first four hours of life. But a lot of times hospitals have a certain number that is a certain policy. Some will say they don't want to see it below 35. Some will say they don't want to see it below 40. Our cutoff was 45 at our the hospital where I worked. Um, but those AccuCheck machines that they use in the hospital are not super, super accurate for infants. They're not really even super accurate for adults. Anytime you get a super low number or a super high number, like in the emergency room, we would have to, before we could treat that, get a lab verification of that number before we could treat that. Um, and so the lab verification is a requirement in the hospital. They'll take a little bit more blood and send it off to the lab, but they still treat with formula quite often, um, pretty much immediately before they get that result back. So let's say we got a 42 instead of a 45 on the AccuCheck. And so somebody runs and gets formula. So they're going to treat the baby with formula. And then it comes back from the lab and, and we see a 57 or something. So it turned out that that blood sugar was not too low and we didn't have to give formula. Um, so it, it's very frustrating because 
that number is also kind of arbitrary. I mean, we, we don't know, nobody knows exactly how low that blood sugar can get. We can't do a research study. It would be unethical to do a research study and say, okay, we're going to see this group of babies. We're going to let their blood sugar drop and see if they get brain damage. I mean, <laughs> we can't, obviously can't do that, but um, we do know from a study in the 1950s that if they get down into the teens and they stay there for eight or nine hours, those blood sugars, then brain damage can happen. But quite often in the beginning, there's supposed to be a little bit of a, a time period where the baby can adapt to life outside of mom. So the cord is cut and then there are compensatory mechanisms, ketone bodies, things like that to protect baby's brain while baby's body is figuring out how to um, regulate that blood sugar. Um, so, but I've just, go ahead. No, go, I just, I'm wanting to like recap on some of the things you're saying and like have you dive into them so you can finish what you're saying first. No, okay. I forgot what I was saying. So, so. <laughs> just so that people are hearing this there is no standard for what blood sugar is too low so what one hospital even in your state is saying is too low the hospital next door could be saying something totally different and i will also just recap that if you're using a bedside heel stick and a bedside thing tester thing it is probably inaccurate so always 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 ask for it to be sent to the lab if you are even going to consent to a heel stick at all. Um, and then one thing I want to dive into is a little bit about informed consent and a little bit about um, like the brain method, which I talk to all of my clients about, about ask anytime your an intervention is re recommended, we always go through the brain method, which is benefits, risks, alternatives, intuition, and now or nothing. So brain. And why is this never being offered when it comes to formula? Why are the risks of supplementation never being told to moms and not that you know the answer why but like I feel like we need to talk about that because all we talk about is the benefits of having supplementation as an option and we don't talk about it all about the risks like you just said about potential lactose intolerance or you know disrupting the microbiome or like what are some of the other risks I don't feel like people know about them so when people are opting into formula it can be for many reasons, but I think a lot of times they don't know any of these risks. Yeah. I mean, certainly if somebody would have told me if you supplement with formula early on in your baby's life, if you supplement um, that there's a real good chance you're going to be dealing with that child having a protein, cow's milk protein allergy or dairy allergy, I don't think I would have been given any formula because when you guys had that lactose intolerance, it wasn't even a true allergy. It was just an intolerance. It was miserable. And I, I had to be careful with everything. We had to be careful with everything that you ate because you, you didn't grow out of it till you were past two. Um, and anytime we introduced anything that had any dairy in it, you guys had trouble. Um, and so. And know, this isn't if, to say that this is going to happen to every single baby, but it's like, no, a mom should at least know the risks and not only know the benefits because the benefits are great. Right. 
And if it's going to save her mental health, great. Mm -hmm. But she should also get to know the risks. Absolutely. That's true informed consent, you guys. Like, that's true informed consent. Were you about to say something, Elizabeth? You can you can say something. Okay, so what I was gonna say, I was getting a phone call. Um, is I think in some of the situations, it's the risks aren't being told because it's in a oh they wanted to breastfeed but they can't. So now, if we say oh well, you this is your only option. So, but oh here's all the risk factors for it just i feel like it just adds to that mental health strain potentially yeah i could i I delivered um like i like i told you before it was a hybrid it was a birth center hospital hybrid yeah and so it was a birthing center attached to a hospital to where um if something medical had to happen you would just literally go down the hall and like the other like hospital part was right there Mm-hmm. But the birthing center was like a separate building attached by like a hallway. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do feel like in some situations, and it could just be the fact that, I mean, honestly, right now there's such a, a nursing shortage because so many nurses are flocking away that they're like, okay, they don't have is time. this what they want? Just let them have it. I'm not even yep. going to fight them on it because I don't have the time. Yeah, I just don't have the time to be like, oh, well, here's all the pamphlets and risks. If this is what they want, I'm just going to assume that they've done the research and just let them have it. Mm-hmm. That's very, very true, Elizabeth. And a lot of that also applies to our pediatricians who are required oftentimes by, by insurance to that cycle them through, see as many as you possibly can. And in order to even keep the doors open, there's so many requirements that's not necessarily their preference usually they don't they don't go into it thinking i'm going to see 50 kids a day you know or whatever it is so but if they are required and i've talked to so many doctors who have said they're required to see so many and they only have a certain amount of time per one per per visit and you don't want any baby falling through the cracks it is easier to just say here's some formula and this this way we are sure that your baby is hydrated and absolutely correct elizabeth that we don't have nearly enough nurses um and they are really pressed for time there's so many things they have to get done in a shift oftentimes you you clock in you're behind immediately yeah it's it's not a fault of the practitioners themselves always i mean sometimes there's some crappy ones but it's not always their fault it's it's a lot of times it's the fault of the system and the way it's set up and how it's the, the requirements that are on these practitioners um, it's really unrealistic for true quality patient care. It's, it's crap. (laughs) Um, so my question, my next question is like, okay, so I'm a mom going in, like, how do I know if they're like, well, your baby has low blood sugar. We got to do this. Like, how do I know I'm vulnerable? I'm tired. I'm emotional. I'm hormonal how do I know? And what do I do? Like, what's my next step? Say I do have a little bit of knowledge. How do I advocate? Like, what does that look like? Um, Yeah, that's very, very difficult for many people. And if somebody's saying, well, you don't have to get formula, but you know, your baby could get brain damage. Um, Yeah. What are you going to do under those? That's like, of course, you're going to say, well, okay, I'll give it. Um, So the first thing would be to ask 
for a lactation consultant to say, mm -hmm. is there a lactation consultant on staff? Can I talk to somebody from the lactation department? You can also look things up um, and reach out to an online lactation support or anybody that you can get a hold of. I can tell you that if it's an emergency and they are critically worried about a blood sugar that is so incredibly low in the low 20s and you're already at 24 hours or something and those numbers are coming back and verified by a lab, they're wheeling that baby down to the NICU and immediately starting an IV. Mm -hmm. So if it's in the 30s or in the low 40s, it's not an emergency. Because mm -hmm. formula is not going to fix it immediately anyway. So you can hand express and get some colostrum and give it to your baby in a spoon or simply do skin to skin. Strip your baby I down. I was going to say alternative right like skin to skin. And skin to skin has been proven to raise those blood sugars up. I had a dad who mom couldn't breastfeed. She was, I can't remember if she was throwing up or something was going on and she couldn't get baby right to breast. We got a 44 on the AccuCheck machine. Not that bad. 45 was our cutoff. Why um, did they even check it to begin with? What was their reason? I think mom was diabetic. Okay. I think. And sometimes, it, it, especially if she ate like a chocolate cake before she delivered, then, you know, that blood sugar is going to be higher. And then they cut the cord and then the blood sugar drops. And sometimes that's an issue. Um, but... So don't eat an entire chocolate cake right before you go to deliver because that's usually not a good idea. But the mom couldn't breast. I just happened to be in the room. It was a fluke that I just happened to be in the room. And so um, they got the 44. Somebody went to go get formula. I said, can we hold off just a second for a 44? Let's get this baby skin to skin with dad. We put baby skin to skin on dad's chest, put a couple blankets over the top. They retested in 30 minutes. Nothing was put in that baby's mouth. We did not give baby anything. And the the number went from a 44 to a 67 on the AccuCheck. So it was definitely well within range. And then the, the, the blood test came back from the lab and it was a 54. So the 44 wasn't even accurate. Oh, wow. It was actually a 54 and went up to a 67 just on dad's chest. And um, that is so huge. Like that is huge. Like, especially to a mom that like, for me, I would have been devastated. Like if somebody would have tried to put formula in my baby's mouth in the hospital and you know, maybe that's a little bit of unhealthy thought, like whatever, but I would have been devastated and livid. And just to know that like simply skin to skin would have solved the problem. Like for the mom who is now in tears because she gave her baby formula and didn't want to like. And then finds out that it wasn't mom even this. Yeah. Why are we not telling them this? Um, we've just used formula for so long. And then because we... skin to skin doesn't make anybody money. But also a lot um, of them don't know. A lot of them just don't know. They don't have the time to take the other classes to get the updated information because they can't take a day off. And their only day off is when they have to do their own stuff. Like, but it could yeah. also be, you know, the big pharma conspiracy, but it could also just simply be a lack of education because lack of time, lack of nursing, lack of 
everything. It's definitely okay. like a multifaceted thing. Oh, but oh yeah, absolutely. It's always absolutely. a common denominator when the free thing is never the recommended thing. Quite <laughs> suspicious. I did see an itemized yeah. bill once from somebody who printed their itemized bill for delivery and they actually did charge for skin to skin care. Wait, I don't what? Yeah. <laughs> okay, I feel like this is a whole different conversation. Right. <laughs> I should have got so, an itemized bill. So mm -hmm. I didn't get charged for skin to skin specifically. Almost. I got charged for the delay of what they call it. It was like the delay of something. And it was like an hour and a half, which is when they, they call it like, oh yeah, we give you golden hour. You know, you get to do your skin to skin right after the baby's born, yada, yada. We like, we put them directly on you, which they do. And then they kind of wipe them off while they're on you. And then they do after about 15 minutes, they'll do a clean off and then put them back on you. And then they all leave for an hour and a half um, and let you have just your time to kind of chill what are Acclimate. they charging for though i don't understand right well, they charge like the delay of something and it was delay like... of finishing our duties delay yeah of... basically i'm about and... to march up to somewhere and <laughs> do something um throw eggs at somebody's house i don't know <laughs> yeah this is delay so of required clinical care something. i don't know what yeah i think that's actually like delay it. of clinical something yeah um i can't remember it's been a couple years and Hashtag mom brain. Like, um, how much are they charging for this? Charge for that? Yeah, I don't remember. I think actually it was covered, at least partially covered by insurance. Um, most people don't see it because most people don't ask for an itemized bill. I know right? I, that's one thing I regret. I'm like, I should just ask for that itemized thing. I don't know why I didn't think about it. Or and I know I got get charged for the donor <laughs> milk. <laughs> well, that makes more sense to me, I guess. Yeah. But it was mm -hmm. included in the quote-unquote NICU part of it mm. um so that was also covered because of the high bilirubin levels they had to have them on like under NICU care like the luckily she was still able to be in my room they okay. just brought in the machine with the extra lights right um, and so luckily she was still able to be in my room she just was considered under NICU care and so then the donor formula was covered under that so. Mm, yeah i mean that makes more sense to me but gosh why what the hell are we charging skin what uh, right but i can tell you that it, in in response to your question about how do you know i can just that it is not an emergency and they have glucose gel a lot of places have glucose gel that they can rub into the baby's cheeks at our hospital of course we followed glucose gel with formula which made no sense but um, because then you're basically putting them on a sugar high, which of course they're going to drop down from. Um, and so we would see more need for more interventions, but, um, so there are other things you can do, but it's never an emergency if they're talking formula. But if just for moms to know too, like skin to skin and then hand expression, right? Get some drops of yeah. colostrum in their mouth, right? Yeah. Just a few drops. You don't need much. Right. Just a few drops. I think there's okay. this big misconception and mom, you've talked about this a lot about like, we see the little bottles that are brought in. We see the little bottles that are sent in the sample packs. And we think we're supposed to be making that much on day one, day two, day three. And like, we're not, <laughs> we're right. not. Yeah. 
You're supposed to make essentially like this much. So it's like five to seven milliliters. Mm. It's a teeny, teeny, tiny amount. And that doesn't go up until the end of day three. And even mm. then it's not an ounce. It's still not an ounce for what babies will typically take in from the breast. So little teeny, tiny amounts. And that's all that's necessary. And every single drop is packed with stem cells and antibodies and carbohydrates and proteins and so, you know, colostrum can do wonders and it proves to the mom, you've got it. You've got this milk. It's there. We can get it out by hand. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And sometimes, especially if birth didn't go the way she wanted it. Yeah. Sometimes that breastfeeding experience might be one of the only things she feels like went well for her. I mean, what we shouldn't mm -hmm. be taking it away. Um and, and especially if that's not what she wants to do. But mm -hmm. the other, um, when we talk about infant weight loss. Um, that was going to be my next question. Yeah. So <laughs> IV fluids. So we're inducing everybody. Everybody's getting induced because of that awake study that was done. Arise. Arise. Arise trial. I think so. Is that one? Was that the one where you induce the babies, you're induced moms at 39 weeks? I think it was the Arise trial. Okay. No, Arrive. Arrive. Okay. Arrive. <laughs> I don't know what it stands for. Awake. Oh, arise. I don't know. <laughs> I just know that kind of bullshit. Of sudden, so we forget the name yeah. of it. I mean, and I talk to women all over the country now. So I, I hear from many, many women. Oh, we, we induced because I'm advanced maternal age. So we induced for that. We induced at 39 weeks, pretty much across the board. As long as 39 weeks doesn't fall on a Friday, Saturday, or, or Sunday during the day, then we'll induce. Otherwise, we're going to wait a few more days so that we can induce Sunday night or Monday morning. But um, to induce for a big baby is not reason to induce. So we induce everybody. But there are studies that show that if they're, if mom gets a considerable amount of IV fluid through her IV when she's in labor, which in an induction, we typically give a lot of IV fluid, that those babies lose more weight in their first 24 hours of life. Hmm. So because their weight is inflated because their body is absorbing this IV fluid. So in the first yes. 24 hours, they're peeing out that IV fluid. It's not actually their, their birth weight is an inflated weight. Yes. I will say that's interesting that you say that because so I was induced with all three of mine. Um, well, the first two, I literally was induced in the morning and had them by, like I had them that same day. Like I was induced. It was okay, Elizabeth, you don't have to brag. No, I'm kidding. No, no, no. <laughs> my induction with my, was like no, three days. Third so one. Off. No, with my third one, I was induced a week early, like I said before, because she was kicking my pelvis apart. Yeah. Like, literally. <laughs> and um, I was in labor for, like, 34 hours. Um, so, I think, which, my own process, the first two I had on Wednesdays, the third one, I went to have her on a Tuesday and didn't have her till Wednesday. I was like, I should have just stuck with my Wednesday. <laughs> that's my own fault yeah um, and wednesday babies dang it <laughs> right no um but she 
she lost a lot of weight initially my third one my first two didn't really lose that much and so that's why i think it's interesting because obviously i wasn't in labor as long you weren't on fluids as long i wasn't uh, yeah i wasn't on the fluids as long and so with the third one i was obviously on those fluids for what 30 hours at least and so then when she dropped besides her bilirubin levels being high etc she was dropping weight and so that's when they were like okay we need to do something we do have donor milk i was like perfect that's what i want yeah <laughs> um and then like listen my before the third one man she had so many doctor's appointments in the first like month of her life to check billy rubin levels yeah. to make sure that they were staying down etc were they checking um, weight like were they concerned about weight too a little bit but not as much because like literally my first appointment with a doctor she was like if your milk supply seems low it, there's a good chance it is this is your third baby you kind of know what your supply usually is um uh, at this point let me give you some numbers for i think they gave me the numbers for like the la leche league in oh, my cool. area which then referred me to a um lactation consultant in my area um and then that's when they were like okay here here's all these superfoods that will boost your supply and help you get back up to where your body can produce like we know you can because literally all my kids are two years apart like it's not like I waited like seven years and then had another one right. um, so like we know your body can do this so we just gotta do all the tricks and all the tips and all the things to get your milk supply back up there and then like so ultimately what do you want to do do you want to try and find a donor in your area do you want to supplement with formula i was like i'm fine with formula it's not that big of a deal to me <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah because we were in the process of like i was feeding as much as i could and then supplementing after with formula so it's just like they were still getting a calf and half yeah that's great they gave you those resources too and kind of you know help support mm -hmm what you wanted versus like forcing something on you. Um, okay. So what can families do to prevent needing to supplement with formula if they don't want to? Um, so hand expression um, in the hospital in particular and hand expression involves more than just like squeezing the nipple. We have to actually move our fingers back push back towards the chest wall and express while you're back there. And so it's kind of a process of pushing back and over. So you can hand express um, prenatally. You can, especially if mom's diabetic, I usually recommend a little bit of prenatal, prenatal colostrum harvesting. You can use any kind of, like these are just the little colostrum collection containers. So sometimes you can buy a kit but really any type of small container, shot glass, anything that where you can collect those drops. Um, as long as mom's at least 38 weeks along, we don't want to really doing too much stimulation until at least that point. Although there are moms who tandem nurse and they're still nursing a toddler and that stimulation doesn't necessarily put them into labor. Um, so um the, the point is that you can pump and probably not get a whole lot out. 
in the beginning, but you can get it out a lot easier by hand expression. So we can do some collecting, then you just pull it up into a syringe. You can find syringes that like, I got these from a medical supply company. They have little caps on them. So you can I pull it I feel like up. Amazon sells everything. So yeah, 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 literally I was about to say Amazon because I bought a pack um, of all the different sizes. Like they come in like a pack of like 25 or 30 or something ridiculous. Yeah. Um, but that way, because like the, all the measurements wore off of the ones that I had for like kid Tylenol, kid ibuprofen, whatever, all the, yeah. like the numbers all wore off. And so then I just ordered them on Amazon. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Exactly. Um, so it's anything that'll fit. So a container that is short enough that you can fit a syringe down into it. So you can pull up however many drops you get because every drop is important and then you can just put those on baby's tongue to kind of help give them a little bit extra after feedings um if you if you need to you can do that prenatally and bring it to the hospital with you um and have it ready to go you can either warm it in some warm water or just a little bit of rolling it in between your hands will usually thaw it out um and Basically, it's just kind of being aware of the fact that quite often formula supplementation is just the simple, easy way to kind of provide a little bit of extra assurance that baby's getting enough. Since we don't have lines to measure how much we're getting or baby's getting um, on the breast. And so um, one of the things to do to prevent would be more hand expression after the feedings and just give that little bit of extra either in a spoon or cup feeding. You can just Google cup feeding a newborn, syringe feeding a newborn, spoon feeding a newborn, all those things that don't interfere with breastfeeding nearly as much as the spot on nipple right here. Mm -hmm. um, and this is where that they, egg comes in, in the brain. It's like, these are all alternatives right mm -hmm. you know you can right so like they gave you the option elizabeth to say you know you can look for donor milk you can you know pump until your eyes turn you know glazed over or whatever because yeah. when you're when you're already feeding as much as you possibly can adding pumping to that sometimes is just crazy a lot of times we'll do this what's it's called adding insult to injury it is. Well, especially when you've got other kids, man. Like that is a lot. That is a freaking well, that, but also my body doesn't respond to a breast pump. There's mm. quite a few women are are like, like that too. And honestly, I had to get one of the hand express pumps. I've heard great things about mm -hmm. those. I've totally mm -hmm. get one of those. They are baby. actually legitimately awesome. Yeah. Um, and they do a really great job. But like I could be like completely fully like rock hard and gorged, and a pump would pull out this much. Yep. Maybe that's crazy. I just worked with the mom and that's that. really expensive pumps. She had so many expensive pumps and she'd tried all of them. I said, I uh -huh. really just get a manual pump and let's work on that. She uh -huh. bought one. We worked on it together and she was amazed. I, I yeah. mean, all of a sudden it's coming out. And part of it is, is up here because when you have more control, you're not as stressed out thinking about, is it going to turn itself up? Is it going to pull my nipples across the room? Or like my child who didn't listen to what I said and just creeped that sucker all the way up thinking that that could or might or Your might other child that has up. a child. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it could be maybe you. <laughs> it's like, well, I just thought that if I turned it up higher, then I would get more out. 
Um, and that doesn't. Yes, I don't remember this at all. <laughs> Mom amnesia. That's I what was this probably is. sleep deprived. <laughs> How high do you have that turned up? Well, I just thought if I turned it all, all the way. way. Up... <laughs> you guys. Um, I, yeah. I don't know. So I will tell you. So I I got a free breast pump with all three of my kids through insurance. I tried three different kinds because I was like, clearly that one didn't work. So I'm going to try a different one. That's highly recommended. Okay, I'm going to try a different one. That's highly recommended. None of them did nothing. Yeah, that's so. <laughs> I ended up giving them all away. I just like problem for people. It's probably because you had the most control with that manual pump. You knew exactly how hard you were pulling it down, mm-hmm. and you could one at a time means that you can focus on one, do some breast compressions, really, really pull that milk out, and yeah, um, yeah. and and many moms just the minute we hook it up our cortisol level. So your stress hormone starts going mm-hmm. through the roof and then you can't have a letdown. So there's no yeah. oxytocin. And so pumps, pumps don't work. So we do have a lot of moms who will say, I'm just going to pump to see how much I'm making. Well, that's never really an indication of how much you're making because no. it's just an indication of how well does a pump work for you. Right. Uh, and I quite often. Wanna... The... Sorry. Yeah. I was going to say quite often the flanges are not the right size so pumps come with 24s and 28s usually and like this is a 21 and a lot of pump companies are starting to think that they need to put the 21s in perhaps instead of the 28s because most nipples are are we're needing a smaller flange um Uh so that's important as well that nobody also usually talks about too much anyway that flange fit but um so the weight loss issue is is one where if baby lost a lot of weight in their first 24 hours of life that there are many hospitals usually not in this country but in other countries where they will start with the 24 hour weight when they're looking at when do we need to be concerned about infant weight loss so they start with that 24 hour weight and um then start to figure their percentages um, for weight loss. And that makes a lot of sense because in research shows that if they are born inflated from extra fluid, that they will poop and pee it out in the first 24 hours. So for me, like as a prenatal coach, since one of the things that like is in my, in my seven step signature method is like asking great questions. And I think if you know, you're going to go in for an induction or you have a high chance of an induction, I think a great question to ask your provider would be, can we use the 24 hour wait that way, you know, ahead of time and you can kind of talk through that option ahead of time. So it's not like just in the moment, like, Oh, I don't want to use that weight. And then they're, you know, I think that would be be perfect, except that your provider has not, once that baby's born, everything having to do with that baby is on the pediatrician at the hospital. Ah. And so your doctor really doesn't have anything to do with that. So it's going to be talking to your nurses and making sure that your nurses know, especially whoever's coming in to actually take care of the baby, uh, make sure that they know. Uh, and if you're tracking those first 24 hours, poops and peas, if you've got three poops and five peas instead of one and one, um, there's a real good chance your baby's going to lose that extra weight. Find out what that percentage of that first day was. And, um, and just, just when you're looking at, at infant weight loss, but immediately, as soon as somebody walks in a room and says, your baby's lost too much weight, we take it personally. 
and we're very hurt and, and we cry typically um, because it's like, what do you mean? My baby, I'm feeding my baby. Um, and so and now we've just done exactly what you just said. We've increased cortisol. We've decreased oxytocin. Uh-huh. And now the cycle continues. Now your body's not making as much because now you're high stress. Yep. Yeah. Um, I do want to go back to when you were talking about like hand expression and colostrum. Um, what are things that parents can do to prepare prenatally for supplementing with their own colostrum? Would you just say like the the removal, the harvesting prior? Or is there anything else they can do? Education? Well, apparently you're not supposed to eat entire bags and boxes of junior mints. Okay. And then- <laughs> we learned one thing today. I didn't know that it could have. I gotta go to the bathroom. I'll be right back. Um, but I think honestly, it can be um, as far as prenatally, there's not a whole lot that really needs to be done except for learning what the studies are saying, what, you know, how, how much can baby lose from birth weight? And if my milk is coming in on day three and that starts to go back up again, because a lot of times we'll see parents being told to supplement on day two because of that infant weight loss when there's really not much chance that it could be exactly, um, you know, that it could be something that's that a result of baby not getting enough because babies don't typically eat very much in the first 24 hours of life. Right. Cause but, they're still adapting to life outside. And so they don't, they haven't figured out, Oh, Hey, I'm starving. Oh, this is how I have to get it. <laughs> right. Yeah. We'll get one or two good feedings usually right after birth. And the rest of the, the first 24 hours is like, please wake up, please wake up, please wake up, please wake up. Let me strip you down to a diaper. I'm going to use a baby wipe on your back and I'm going to do all those things to try and get you to wake up. Mm -hmm. Um, But they just don't typically eat a whole lot and they don't really need it. They're kind of born with a full tank of gas. They go to the breast as if they're the hungriest baby in the world, but that's instinctual. That's they're suckling instinctually. Um, Right after birth is nature's way of clamping the placenta down and helping or sorry the uterus down and helping remove the placenta yeah Mm -hmm. not necessarily just for that hunger Mm -hmm. right Um, yeah which is what is done in a setting where they're not doing those intense deep fundal rubs where they're in there digging around on your uterus and right uh, which gets more and more intense with each subsequent pregnancy um where they get in there but it 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 is the, the, there's not a whole lot that you can do food wise, um, ahead of time. You certainly can try to stay nutritionally balanced and, and things afterwards. There are foods that some will say help increase milk supply. Um, and it'll do that for some women, but some of that could very well be placebo effect. If somebody says you need to eat oatmeal three times a day and drink a body armor, and then you will make more milk you can relax knowing that I'm doing all the things I'm drinking my body armor and I'm eating my oatmeal. Um, it might also work, but we don't really know for sure. Um, there's the main thing is hydration, right? Yes. You have to stay hydrated and, but usually we can just drink to thirst because we get unbelievably thirsty when we're breastfeeding and hungry. It was instant. Like the second the baby would be on my boob, like the second they would lack, I would like my mouth, I would get like dry mouth. 
Yeah. I'm like, this is kind of cool. Like nature's pretty cool. Right. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So, so I, I got to say... ask, how do you make sure that your care team knows that you don't want any substance given without your permission? And we're not just talking formula, but also that glucose gel that, you know, that purple little stick that sometimes they sneak in without you knowing, like they almost did to my first son when they did the hearing test, they just come in. It's like standard, it's protocol. They did not ask for my consent for it. And I absolutely did not want him to have it. Um, and when I said no, like she was like, okay, like, it's not like it's really needed. Right. Right. <laughs> so it's, it's just like, I've never had anybody say no before. Wasn't some it? of this stuff is so standard. So like, yeah. what do you, how do we get this across? Especially if it's going to be a different care team than the provider we're seeing all throughout our pregnancy. Um, it, it honestly comes down to you make sure that you have a really strong support team. So a doula, um, make sure that your partner knows or whoever is going to be with you knows how important this is to you and that they are made aware of, you know, please be watchful. And cause you didn't see it um, mm -hmm. when they, I saw them get the purple thing out um, because you were postpartum. I mean, we don't pay much attention. Yeah. We're just like, yeah, okay. Yeah. Test is hearing. Sure. Yeah, of course. But uh, you want to be someplace that baby needs to stay with you. Babies that are taken out of the room for testing um, and procedures, there's a real good chance they're going to get some of that sweet stuff. Um, and so babies that are taken out of the room at any time, you know, if they absolutely have to leave the room, you can go with them. Um, and this was way back, even when you were born, Taylor, that, I mean, I'm all hunched over from a C-section and not supposed to get up, but I was like, but you took my baby. So I'm going to go find her. <laughs> They're like, what are you doing? I was like, I need to find my baby. You took her. Um, Oh, so me crawling to the bathroom with an epidural in, I see where I got it. <laughs> when you yeah. tell the women in this lineage not to do something, or if you... <laughs> right. You see what had happened was... <laughs> right. But you didn't yeah, do that's the thing it. that I wanted to do, so I did Potentially, it. Potentially, yeah. Um, but it, 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 you make sure that your, your care team knows how you feel about it. And you maybe make bright signs to put on the bassinet in the room so that when your baby is not skin to skin and you put them down, that, that it's right there on the bassinet, no formula, uh, nothing but breast milk or I'm breastfeeding and, and please don't give me anything but breast milk. Um, usually babies stay in the room now pretty much for everything. They can certainly stay in the room for everything. Um, but I think it's, it's your support team because honestly, <laughs> honestly, during labor and the immediate postpartum time period, you can't think right. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, you just, yeah. you can't think right. So you've got to make sure that your support team knows how you feel. I mean, I have seen many dads pressured into giving formula where if maybe mom had to be put completely under for an emergency C-section and they're saying baby's super hungry, we need to feed. And dad maybe isn't even aware of how important the breastfeeding is too. But if he's told your baby needs, your baby's hungry, they need to eat. 
can we give formula? Sure. Yeah, of course. Um, and then mom wakes up and she's pretty mad. Um, so, um, well, and this goes, this is so, this is so important. And like, I know we're at an hour, but we can keep talking. Um, I think that this is so vital for everyone to know about not just your feeding preferences, but about all of your preferences, because there are just, yeah, you, you are not always in the state of mind to be able to advocate your, for yourself. And though a partner or a doula is never there to steal your voice or to speak for you in a way that like is overpowering you, it is important that when you're kind of off in labor land or you're just, you're not like you're dealing with pain or you're dealing with whatever you're dealing with and something is suggested to you, you might say yes to something that you actually don't want to say yes to. And if your team doesn't know what you want, they can't, even if they don't speak for you to the provider, they can speak to you and say, hey, remember you didn't want this thing? And you can be like, kind of come to and be like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, you know, thinking about my own situation when I almost got a C-section because I woke up from a nap and was exhausted and had my mom not been standing right there to say like, hey, like how about we give this a minute? Let's talk to her husband who's in the car asleep. Like, you know, like little things that just, I wouldn't have probably advocated for myself in that moment. And, you know. Because they woke you up from a dead sleep, from a dead sleep where you finally got the epidural so that you could rest after days and days and days of being in labor. And, Mm -hmm. um, and so then they wake you up from a dead sleep and tell you that you need a C-section when I had just been told by the nurses 30 minutes earlier that everything was fine. We could start the Pitocin all over again. Baby looked great. Mom looked great. I'm in there in there telling her she needs a C-section. Um, and this is or, where I still like was that with your first plug, or with the twins. That was with my first. And okay. like, so I have to plug doulas again here because like, you know, in that case, my mom was like, acting as my doula because my doula had actually went home because it was such a long labor um and she ended up coming back but like if it would have just been my husband there in that moment and maybe my husband would have known to say something because I do what I do for a living and like I probably like educated the crap out of him but for somebody who doesn't do what I do and whose spouse isn't they don't know like they don't know anything else so like they would have been like oh my wife needs a c-section okay like this is why having somebody in the room who like knows things about this. I don't know. I, I will just, say I, not even going against your husband. Cause he may have known to like, be like, no, we're not doing this. But, but also, but the, well, the other thing, the thing is, is that the men in our lives, when they see the one person that they love more than their mother in that much pain and suffering, Whatever that nurse says, they're gonna be like, "Yep, okay, do it." Because yeah, and they're I, not I mean, thinking I either. All they're my head, clients, they, that. all they know is that the person that they love so much is in pain, is suffering, is not. They can do nothing. They are useless in that situation because <laughs> they want to fix it. Men are and, yeah, they want to fix it. it. So yeah. Okay, you're saying she needs a C-section. Yep. Okay. Let's. Yes, we will do the mm-hmm. next thing because that is something I can. I can help. I can try and do something. I can answer this question. <laughs> no, exactly. It's so so true. Which is like why honestly, I just, my I, husband with my first, 
he was out in the hallway when I was getting my epidural and he, like I they had to pause for a second because I was having another contraction while well, I was like a seven and a half dilated at that point so I'm like in that transition point and so I, I like not screamed but said very loudly ow 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 he about passed out in the hallway <laughs> if yeah. his sisters hadn't been there to like hold him upright he would have hit the floor yeah <laughs> you're right you're exactly right it's very very difficult for them yeah um, so, and that's okay, one of the I, reasons why a doula is so important yes i yeah if i could have afforded one i would have had one but unfortunately that wasn't quite and, but that's hard. not fair either women shouldn't yeah. have to i mean you know oh, i agree insurance company should be paying for doula oh i totally I don't agree what they could... with insurance though I know, but they should be reimbursing. I that's mean, you true. could, no, you could give clients a super bill and they should be able to be reimbursed. Um, that's yeah. true. Okay. So I do have two more questions and I don't want to keep everybody forever because um, we're already past an hour. But one question, I kind of want to backtrack a little bit and kind of not backtrack, but just like thinking about it on the flip of everything we've kind of been talking about is I have heard some women lately. I had a client, for instance where she was maybe okay with supplementing or with combo feeding or something of the nature. And she was at a very pro breastfeeding hospital, which is amazing, but they, it almost had the reverse effect on her stress. And I know that sometimes lactation consultants can be this way. And I know like the ones I have in my circle are not this way, but I think it's a misconception that if I get a lactation consultant to help me, she's going to shame me for not, you know, for wanting these things. So I just want to know like what your thoughts are on that. Or if mom is feeling pressured to breastfeed when she doesn't want to, because it can happen on both sides, pressure for formula when you don't want to use it, pressure to breastfeed fully and not supplement when you want to, or you wish you could. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think it's important to find out every lactation professional who's helping that family or doula in any situation should be asking, what are your goals? What are your goals? What would you like to have happen? Your ideal lactation scenario, what would that look like? And if that involves a combination of formula, we can do that. We used to teach half, you know, you can't have it both ways that it's either breastfeed or bottle feed with formula and that's it, but you can exclusively pump and pump for your baby. You're not going to get anything in the very beginning. So likely you're going to need to use donor milk or formula in the very beginning. Um, but you could do some hand expression. You could make sure your baby gets some colostrum. Um, so, but there's, your body will adapt to kind of what you tell it to do. So if you want to, for example, I have moms that say, I can't pump during the day. I'm a nurse. I'm, I work in an emergency room. I can't get any pumping time. Um, so whenever your shifts are, and you kind of have to keep it going throughout the rest of the week, but you just come up with these periods of time that your body's not going to produce milk. Essentially, it may take a few days or a week. You'll be uncomfortable. Um, but a lot of times you can just feed in the morning and feed at night and then maybe not pump during the day. Um, and maybe your baby's not going to get a whole lot, but a little bit of breast milk goes a long way and you're still getting, giving antibodies and stem cells. And so it's very, very important that you find out what her goals are and, and how a lactation journey is going to look like for her. Um, 
So as the mother, if you're watching this and you're the, like, you can just reiterate with these different professionals that you're seeing, like, these are my goals. This is what I want from this. And then they can help you reach those. Yeah, absolutely. And, and if somebody is saying something that doesn't sit right with you, just like you teach all the time, then you change, you know, if you're, if you're not getting the type of, of reinforcement, if you're not finding somebody that says, yeah, you can totally combination feed. Absolutely. Um, if that was your goal from the beginning, sure. But if you're not getting that from your provider, then you need a different provider. Um, whether that be your pediatrician for your child or, or whatever it might be, that they should be willing to support whatever it is you want to do, because it doesn't have to be all of one or all of the other. Um, okay, sounds like what we talked about like last week, like with an, an OB or a midwife or whatever, if they're not compatible with you, mm-hmm. they're working for you. Mm-hmm. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Well, this, this wasn't my last question, but I have to ask it now. Cause you made me think of it. What about the mom that comes to you and says, well, I really want to breastfeed, but if I have to supplement or if, if I can't do it, then I will. like, you can tell that she's only putting that caveat in there because she doesn't want to sound like a bad mom, basically. You know what I'm saying? Like, she's like, yeah, well, I really want this, but of course I'll do this if I have to, you know, for my baby, but you can kind of tell that, you know, cause I get that a lot with doula clients where they're like, well, I really want like to not have an epidural or to like, not need a C-section, but like, of course, if baby needs it, like we, it's the same thing with moms that are like, well, I really want to go on this girl's trip, but you, you know that I'm going to miss my kids or they're bitching about their kids, but they're like, but of course I love my kids. Like as moms, we always feel this need to like caveat that we want what's best for our kids when like, no shit. Like we, of course we do. Like we can still want what we want. Right. So like, what do you it's do as of a patient consultant? Because how do you, like, you're... It's because of all the sanctum mommy groups. I know, right? Yeah. <laughs> because at that point, she's, like, telling you her goals, but she's also kind of wishy-washy with her goals. Do you know what I'm asking? Um, yeah, so, I mean, I see that a lot um, on, because there's usually a prenatal questionnaire before I teach classes, and I see that a lot of, you know, I really want this, but if I can't, I understand, and and I'll, I'll do whatever's best for the baby. So that excuse me, is kind of just a given, of course, absolutely. You're going to want to, you know, we have to feed the baby. There's other ways to feed the baby with donor milk, or if you can't afford buying donor milk from a a milk bank, then we can do human, you know, like peer to peer, mom to mom, um, Mm -hmm. informal donor milk, things like that from somebody, you know, Um, and so there's lots of ways that can be done, but it's, it's essentially going to be having, having to try to get her alone because Mm -hmm. if it's pressure and to say it's, it's okay. If you really don't want to put your baby on the breast, some, some birthing people just really don't want the baby on the breast and that's okay. I have a client right now that told me that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so that's totally fine. So we're going to have to look at maybe looking and securing some donor milk for those first feeding, see if somebody has some frozen colostrum, maybe still in their, in their, um, 
freezer that that we can have access to because it it is very difficult to get out enough by hand um and the pump just isn't going to do it in the very beginning but so if they want to stick with just human milk then that's the way we would go or if they're okay that doing formula up until the point that they're able to get their milk supply going um it's going to take some dedication and pretty much around the clock pumping um to kind of get that happening but um there's so many different ways to make mm -hmm. this work and exclusively pumping is breastfeeding i mean you're lactating that would have been way you. harder yeah so the moms that do that i'm like you're the real mvps <laughs> Right. So you hope yeah, that it was so much easier really, for really me. I'm like, partners. I got it right here. Right. <laughs> Keep oh, the baby absolutely. with me. And there's something really to be said about that. It's like, at times you're just like, I'm so touched out. I just really wish that I could lock myself in the bathroom and somebody else could do this for a day. But then you're also kind of like, just give me the baby. Just, mm -hmm. I can fix it. Just I'll, I'll fix this. Yep. Mm -hmm. um, just, you know, I know the baby's crying. Just give me the baby. I can fix this. Um, so there's yep. something kind of cool about that too mm -hmm. um but there's so many different ways that this can work and babies can get human human milk um which you know ultimately if they can even get a little bit um it can it can significantly help with their immune system um so taylor i actually just had a question something that i don't know if you've thought about with your client that doesn't want to like have baby at the breast or whatever you thought about getting um like the nipple pasties or like the temporary bra or whatever for like the day oh, of like that or kind of like that but also like almost like the stick on bras to keep baby from rooting during skin to skin and finding the nipple due to scent Mm, no, I hadn't. Um, in part because I did talk with her about the need for the placenta to, huh. or like the uterus to clamp down. Yeah. Um, so we kind of talked about like maybe still allowing for that to happen, but she's okay. not super interested in trying to get baby to latch. Yeah. Um, um but like for the future, it might be something yeah, beneficial idea. to like have either you can, I, I did a lot of reading when I was pregnant more than I probably should. I mean, Melissa, you know my mother. Um, exactly. I, <laughs> I read all the books. Um, but good, like, though. they were suggesting like, if you don't want to breastfeed or whatever, to either get like a stick-on bra or get like the the silicone like band-aids. Yeah. That Mm -hmm. I mean, usually it's for people that are like in like, like strippers or like whatever to like, <laughs> whatever, but it helps to prevent like a secondary trauma response to. Yeah. Exactly. If because they do have I, I will definitely suggest that. it because I think that's a great idea. She is, she is wanting to pump, but yeah, for the rooting and stuff, that's a really good mm -hmm. idea. If it's triggering, because it could very well be triggering. And mm -hmm. if, a, yeah. if that's the case and it's going to trigger that response, then yeah, absolutely. For sure. um, because you also want to make sure that the providers know, and that could be a way to make it very, very clear. This, True. this mm -hmm. particular birthing person wants absolutely nothing on their nipples. So leave right. their nipples alone. And so that could be a really good way to make sure that 
is conveyed because inevitably there's going to be that one person that pops in at the last minute and doesn't know all the other things that have already and been said something that sends the oh, person into like on. a deep dive spiral right. and- exactly yeah. yeah it's like i told everybody and and this You're person like, oh, comes in just and... undid weeks of work <laughs> right yeah <laughs> by exactly. one sentence <laughs> exactly um which happens a lot in a teaching hospital where residents oh, I bet. And, and they have to know so much and they're so tired and but sometimes you just wonder it's like did that really just come out of your mouth because if you have any idea how hurtful that comment was <laughs> i don't think you would have said it but um sometimes it can be yeah. definitely difficult so i will say my birthing center wasn't necessarily a teaching hospital tied one but they did have a lot of interns and stuff and so they would ask way ahead of time like hey do you care and i was like nah bring them in i don't care <laughs> I, I, especially when it was with my third i was like sure the more the merrier let them care. learn you all seen it at this point i don't care yeah let them learn okay yeah. so last question unless i think of something else <laughs> Why is formula so popular in this country? Like when it's, we know not to offend anybody, but like, it's not as healthy as breast milk. I'm not going to like sugarcoat that. Um, And it often gets recalled. It's frequently in short supply and many families don't want to give it. Like why? Um, Yeah, because for almost a hundred years, it's been pushed forward and promoted and um i mean they used to in the 50s they dressed women up as um nurses in the white uniforms and sent them out into the public particularly in black and hispanic neighborhoods to convince mothers that it was healthier for their babies and essentially if you did not give this formula um then you're like a poor mom or a hippie or you know sophisticated working mothers don't need to be breastfeeding and it was seen they as used to do that like, with c-sections too i think like oh yeah, yeah. Um, culture you also is... out of your vagina right like you don't want that yeah but it's also a matter of a lot of workplaces you get six weeks yeah. And then baby has to go to daycare and you don't get every two hours to pump on demand when you right. need to, to keep your supply up. And so then your supply dwindles and then that you have good. no other option. So it's like, what is the root of all the problems? Capitalism. <laughs> You're right. It's all, uh, you know, but decades and decades and decades yes. of overfeeding yes. our babies and, and being told, oh, that bottle nipple has to be full of milk and turn it upside down and no, no air in that nipple. And so we're overfeeding. So moms are thinking, oh, I can't keep up. I can't keep up. I can't keep up. And then the stress of work and the stress of getting your kids ready for daycare and taking them to daycare or even just having anybody else watch your kids in your home. Um, but the stress of traffic, the stress of of having to then come home and make dinner, you know, there's so yep. many things involved in that that drop in milk supply where formula might be started to be needed. Um, and then the marketing, it's like we would assume, of course, that if we buy the store brand, that's basically like buying Always Save, you know, or something like that, where if the store brand is 
half the cost, probably made in the same factory, made with the exact same ingredients, made on the exact same line factory, but a different label on it. Um, but the store brand is is significantly less expensive. Um, yeah. So, I mean, there's just that it's it's capitalism, honestly. I mean, yeah. and it's the fact that the formula companies who are funded by the dairy industry um, with all the people giving up dairy these days, that is a, a big concern for them. So they are pushing really, really hard for formula to be given out. And, and they used to, you know, the formula companies would come in, they would provide everybody in the hospital, all these great ball tickets and event tickets and meals and oh. all these things. Pediatricians still are getting all this free stuff. If you just give away these six cases of formula mm. and well, um, that, but you can like basically whenever the formula companies get wind that you're having a baby, whether it's what you've looked up online or whatever, I got like six cans of formula in the mail. Yep. Oh, yeah. so you spoke it into the, in, into the ethernet. You spoke it yep. into the universe and then all of a sudden somebody spied on you and found out you were having a baby and yep. And then you'll yep. get it free in the mail because they want to get you hooked on it. And mm -hmm. I mean, that happens in, in disasters as well. Natural disasters, formula companies yeah. will come in with the premix stuff. And then all of a sudden, the only thing that's really feasible and financially is powdered, but maybe there's not clean water. Um, mm -hmm. But now all the mom's milk has dried up. And so, I mean, it's very um uh unethical <laughs> yeah yeah and so and it, it does come into play and there's uh, many more moms choosing to lactate whether it be exclusively pumping or whatever just because of these formula shortages mm -hmm. and i've had a lot of moms say well i really didn't want to do it but i feel like i should at least try to lactate because what if there's no formula mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, so yeah. that that a, a big so, part I have of a it. question that I literally just thought of in lesbian dynamics have you found I don't know how many clients you've had that are openly lesbian or whatever have you found where Stop. it could just be because I saw it online it's all over my tiktok I'm, yeah <laughs> on tiktok you know uh but we're both moms want the one that's not pregnant induces lactation so they both can breastfeed yeah that way there's not an issue with there being a lack and of i supply. think dad should do it too yeah dad, I think should, dad, should, do it too. dad should really offer that up as an option as a, as an you know take one for the team come on no oh. i think it's awesome yeah and absolutely you can um a lot of times it, there there's there's certain protocols sometimes hormones can be involved you can do you know mm -hmm. three to four months of birth control pills and then stop and then add some domperidone which of course is not legal in the united states because the fda it's probably because every other country approves it for increasing milk supply but mm -hmm. we can't i don't know um and then so i mean there's a lot, a lot of times it's just pumping um and things like that but adoptive moms will do that so they can feed their adopted babies as well yeah um but i think it's awesome in same-sex couples if both both parents want to breastfeed i think that's fantastic um mm -hmm. and it, i just it, didn't know how much you'd seen that or quite a bit mm -hmm. quite a bit actually okay 
Yeah. That's pretty cool. That is really it, cool. It sure does divide up that parental responsibility too. Yeah. <laughs> For sure. Especially those late night, middle of the night feedings. Right. <laughs> but you know, it's going to require pumping on the part yeah. of the parent who isn't currently feeding. So in order to develop a full milk supply, unless they mm -hmm. want to have it continue to be half and half, um, that other, the other parent who's not feeding at that particular time will still need to pump if they want right. a full milk supply. Uh -huh. But yeah, I think it's, it's just, awesome. I feel like it's important for us to kind of talk about that, like why it's pushed so hard. Um, just kind of that, that undertone element that people just simply need to be aware of. Like we just can't bury our head in the sand to the fact that these are industries, these are companies. And I'm not trying to vilify the thing itself, you know, formula saves lives and it, but they have billions and billions and billions of dollars. Yeah. And it saves women's mental health and all of these things, but we just have to understand just like C-sections save lives that they are overused. They are pushed. They are a cause of unnecessary interventions. And we just need to know these things because it can help us make more informed decisions when we are choosing these interventions that we can say like, yes, I at least have this part of the knowledge. Um, and this is still the thing that I want to choose, um, which I want to add in there too, about like what I said about breast milk being healthier, you know, without causing this divide, um, because a lot of our country feels so divided in so many things. And in motherhood circles, like, holy crap, there's always a division of breastfed, formula fed, sleep yeah, yeah. train, not sleep train, all these things. And it's like, instead, if we could realize things like, yes, breast milk might be the more superior, just like me feeding my child organic is more superior, but the stress of maybe having to keep up with breastfeeding or with pumping or whatever, like, we do have to weigh those things when we're weighing out the risks and benefits and health benefits of mom and mom's stress and understanding that like your baby needs you to be happy and healthy. And that's yeah. just as important as getting this nutrients. But at the same time, we have to honor the argument that breast milk is liquid gold. So it's like, it's a both and thing as opposed to this, like one side, one side, like, we can honor yeah. both. <laughs> like, why can't we just, yeah. like, we're yeah, both right. Absolutely. Like honor and, both. Well, and it really just depends on mom's goals. She may not be opposed to formula and that's okay. Um, if she, if she's not opposed to it and, and especially if she can like choose, uh, start with a brand that isn't out of stock, you know, go to the grocery store and check and see which brand is still here. Let's go with that brand. Um, but it, it, there, there are so many different ways to look at motherhood and, and to, to follow the, um, you know, we're going to do this most of the time. We're going to have this be our regular, we're going to do this almost always. And then sometimes we know we can't, um, and many parents do end up feeling a whole lot better about breastfeeding if they know some of them just need the okay to give one bottle of formula. Mm -hmm. It's like, totally, let's get the baby fed mm -hmm. if that's, but if this, the fed is best, I can't go there, but, um, you know, feds, fed is minimum, but, um, 
And, and then as soon as she has that in her back pocket, knowing that I can fall back, then she's much more successful. Mm-hmm. And it just depends on the individual parent and how they feel about it. And, and, but it could be for another mother, it could be that formula bottle sinks her into a depression because she's like, I failed. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, we, we don't know. I mean, we, and so it's, it's all about talking to each mom and finding out, um, it's so individualized and it comes back to like the whole point of this group is like do motherhood your way and feel okay about it and feel let go of the shame about it and like let's validate each other's choices and like let's stay informed let's be as informed as possible but then be like she's making that choice from an informed place and that's her choice I mean I think about it I was just thinking about this the other day I was like shoot, if I would have been forced back into the workforce full-time at six weeks, guarantee you I wouldn't have breastfed for 15 months. Yeah. No way. Yeah. Like, I was able to do that from a place of privilege, not just from a place of, like, well, you know, breast is best, and my lactation consultant, so I have, like, (laughs) like, I wasn't forced back into the workforce at six weeks or 12. Yeah. Yeah. Like, Am I busting my ass trying to build a business from home and like scraping pennies some weeks because we're living on one income? Like, yeah, but you know what? Like that, I ch- we choose our hard. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. But it's like, I don't know. Like we just got to stop judging each other's choices and just be informed. And like my goal is always, and I know your goal too, like with breastfeeding is like, it's to make sure that mom is making this choice from her own intuition and her own like this is what she wants not what she is being forced to do because a doctor told her to or a provider told her to or her mom told her to or her best friend told her to but really truly because it's what she wants to do yeah I mean we literally could talk for weeks on I think this is a good all those things I mean I I could there's so many other things that I could say but yeah it'll be hard for anybody to actually listen to the whole thing probably but I mean there there are some things that people can do there's all kinds of prenatal education that's available Mm -hmm. um we have some excellent excellent lactation consultants in Kansas City that do in-home visits and quite often many of them are covered by insurance so that's really important to talk about as well I'll ta- um, let's tag those things in the comments of this video. So I'll, I'll okay. go ahead and do that. And like, if you can put your nest information there and then I'll tag like Morgan and Sarah and um, we can get some resources for people. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So yay. We're done. Okay. I'm going to stop the recording. Okay. Bye.